This has been a great series. I've had many conversations with many different people at many different locations, talking about how this series has really brought on some anxiety in their lives. They weren't aware that they had anxiety. And in week one, we kind of talked about that, that everybody experiences anxiety. The definition of anxiety, I think it's worth repeating each and every week in case you miss some weeks, is the feeling of worry, nervousness, and unease. And there's no way that you're here today and you've experienced any type of life for any certain amount of time where you didn't have this sense of worry, these feelings of nervousness and unease. So it kind of affects us all. It's to what level? And yes, anxiety for some people is very high. They, they get very anxious over many things. And so I believe this has been a good series. And in week one, Paul, in Philippians chapter four, which is the anxiety chapter in scripture, is communicating some really important truths for us to understand is that we can overcome this. We can overcome this and let those anxious thoughts be a trigger to prayer. And through prayer, we're bringing God into us. Now we're off of our anxious thoughts. Now we're, our minds are focused on God. And he says, and if you do these things, you will be able to experience this peace, this peace that surpasses all understanding. Because when we're anxious, we're being robbed of the joy and peace that God has for us. And so by Delivering and, and, and releasing all those thoughts and focusing on God and bringing it to God, the almighty, all-powerful God, we can have victory over this. In week two, we looked at control freaks, that when you're trying to control everything, you, that brings on anxiety. And what that means is now you're playing God's part, because only God is in control of all things. And when you surrender that, it is freeing. It is freeing. Now, it won't lead you to anxiety, but it will lead you to that joy and peace Week three, we talked about the brain and how Paul communicates we have to rewire the brain. We said how we have to redirect our thoughts. That way we have to fill our minds with things that are honoring to God. And then in week four, which was last week, we talked about relational anxiety right before Thanksgiving holiday. So how'd that work out for you? Pastor Ross was here. He did a great job of really teeing it up and setting it up. But yes, so much of our anxiety is triggered by people. There's people that make us nervous. There's people that there's some just unresolved details. And today, we're going to be looking at anxious number five, when finances make you anxious. Man, what a great time of year to talk about this as well. Just like the relational part last week. You know, Good Friday just happened, and it is a spending opportunity for all Americans in this country at this time. And I do believe that this is the month that we are entering where so many people are going to have anxiety over their finances. But I want to start with this. I want to start with some of these consumer price index. Hopefully, this will not bring anxiety on you. But in the last couple years, food costs are up 11%. Every time we go to the grocery store, we're starting to feel it. Airline fares have gone up 43%, so that's going to affect how we travel. Also how we travel, fuel has gone up 58%. And I don't have to tell anyone, every time you go to the gas pump, it's a little bit disheartening. Let's go to our 401ks. For those who are seasoned like myself, it's down 25%. Don't get involved in really getting wrapped up in Shamini.com and the ups and downs. The average person losing 34000 in the last two years in their 401, 401k account. The average household credit card debt is nine grand per household. 
Now, with all these staggering numbers, and this is just a few, you can go to to the index and you can look how everything, inflation, and it's just climbing as we continue to speak each and every month. It keeps creeping up. Black Friday brought in $9.1 billion. Tomorrow, Cyber Monday, is expected to bring in $12.2 billion. The projections of November to December of this year are going to be $50 billion more than last year. We finished just under $900 billion last year. That was an all-time record. This year, they're expecting approximately $950 billion in spending between Thanksgiving on Black Friday all the way through Christmas. Now, I don't know about you. With inflation going up and we're feeling the, the pain in our finances at the pumps and at the grocery stores and everything, it's just going up. Don't even get me started on the energy costs of trying to run air conditioners and now heaters throughout the winter. It just makes sense that if this is the way inflation's going, maybe we should start saving a little bit of money, but that's not the American way. The American way is spend, spend, spend. And I do believe that people are going to overspend, just like we do every year. Now, I'll say this. Our economy really needs it this time. You know, the U.S. thrives, and the reason the U.S., the way we are financially exists is because of this holiday spending season. Without it, our country's in trouble. With it, we thrive. So on one hand, we have to continue this to continue to do what we do here in this country. But at the same time, we don't know what the future is going to hold. And it seems to me with inflation climbing that maybe possibly we should be saving. But again, when finances make you anxious, if you save, you could be anxious. It's Christmas. We're providing for our kids. We're providing for our families. Luckily, Paul gives us some great instructions on this. He gives us some great instructions in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 and 13. Let's read what Paul has to say about this. He says, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. It's interesting here as we read through this to unpack this just a little bit before we get into the three points and really unpack what Paul is saying here. He learned this. This is something after he became a follower of Christ. And if you don't know his story, I encourage you to go read it because his transformation of being somebody who was hunting down Christians to now becoming the spokesman for Christianity, God used him to write most of the New Testament. is an amazing example of how God works and how he transformed Paul in this. But he says, I had to learn this. I mean, I did not know this too much of my life. I did not understand this, but I came and I learned this. I learned the secret of living. I figured out the secret in life. And it has everything to do with contentment, which is what he is talking about here is finances, how much we have or how much we don't have. And he says on both ends of that spectrum, I've experienced it. I have been with little and I have been with much. And Paul says, because of that word commitment or contentment, I now know the secret of life. 
And so if you're here and you're like, yes, I worry about my finances. I worry that I don't have enough. Or possibly, and what Scripture is going to show us in point two today, that Jesus really goes out of his way to make sure that he communicates this clear message that too much finances also can lead to destruction, can also lead to anxiety. So wherever you are on the spectrum, that you are going to be faced with some financial anxiety, and that's kind of the big series idea of today's message. Financial anxiety comes for all of us. It is going to come for all of us, whether we have too little or too much. And if you're sitting here going, yes, I have too little, I'd love to have that problem. I'd love to have the problem of too much. Well, let's see what Jesus has to say about that. Because that's really not the solution. The the part that Paul is getting here is that we need to be content whether we have little or whether we have much. So here's the first point of today. If you have too little, God knows your needs. Now, I just kind of want to start off here in this country that this point, meaning too little in this country, definitely means something in other countries. I've had the privilege, and it's, it was good for me. I had the privilege to go on two Haiti trips, and Haiti's kind of the, the poorest country within the Western Hemisphere, and I got to kind of see poverty at a level I've never seen. I've been to Mexico, but again, Haiti is a whole nother level of poverty, a whole nother level of darkness because of voodoo. And it was in our first church experience of of being there and worshiping together with our Haitian family. Christ, it was awesome. And just like our services here, they end with prayer. And we started to then come around those who were coming up for prayer. And it was incredible that the prayer request from the women was the exact same prayer request time and time and time again. And here's what it was. I have eight kids. My husband's left. And I have no resources to help my children. I have no food resources. I have no clothing resources. I have zero resources. When you start experiencing that time and time again to the point We have some of those requests, I'm in need. I can give them a a gift card, and I'm grateful for that. Or I can send them to resources for food, or I can give them a gift card to go get food. But say, no, there, there are resources, there are food banks that will help you. But when you're in Haiti, there's no resources that you can point to other than God. And when you start experiencing that need, That this mom, because here's what happens, witchcraft is very big, it's voodoo, and these witch doctors, they come up and they have all this polygamy and they start these, really what they are, little villages, but they're married to all the wives and then they leave. The husbands leave and they go start it somewhere else and they leave their wives and they leave all their kids and it just just broke the moms. I, I can remember as we were praying, the mom started all crying, like every single one of them. And it brought me to tears because I could see the compassion from a mom that is crying out, I need help, and there's nothing I can do, and I don't have resources. When you experience that little, and then you compare it to what now we're going to try to wrap our minds about being having too little here in this country, it is much different. Meaning if you have more than one set of clothes, 
and a vehicle and a roof over your head. You're in the 75 percentile of the wealthiest people in the world if you just have those three things. A roof over your head, not owning your home. A car, not owning your car. And more than one set of clothes that includes shoes. You are in the 75 percentile of the wealthiest people in the world. And so I think too little just does mean something a little different to us. Now, I'm not minimizing this. I'm not minimizing, yes, there are people in need in our community. And as a church, we want to help them. But this first point, God knows your needs. Are we turning to God? That's what, I, that's what I loved in Haiti. Those people were turning to God because that really, truly was the only option, which means is the best option, though. And so often we can start turning to our resources. And I'm not saying God's not working through our resources. We have wealth here and we have resources to help. And God can work in and through those. But too often we might run to our credit card rather than to God for our needs because God knows our needs. And you might be here saying, yes, I want God to know my needs. And I want to turn to him when I'm in need. But it is important to understand Wants versus needs. I just fell into this trap. Friday night, Black Friday, I said, let me get online and see what I need. I don't need any of that stuff I was looking at. Those are all wants. And yes, I have a want list. Tools, I mean, I love tools and I love to build things. But that's not my needs. And so as we get into this, your wants are not your needs, but the good thing is God knows your needs. Back to Philippians 4.19, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. I love this. I love that Paul starts off and he says, And this same God who takes care of me. Let me, let me say this. If you don't know Paul's story, he had a life of hardship. His life was pretty, pretty good before he came to faith as far as easy street. His life got real difficult after he came to faith. Here are some of the things in Philippians, um, sorry, 2 Corinthians 11. It says this. It says, Paul endured hardships in his service to Christ, including five floggings, three beatings, a stoning, which was supposed to be a stone to death, three shipwrecks, Danger from robbers, and I love how he kind of summarized this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. He says, I have worked hard and long, and during many sleepless nights, I have been hungry and thirsty, and I have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Because you might be saying here, yeah, pastor, you don't know my story. My story is filled with hardships. Paul's life was filled with hardships, and it's very easy for our life circumstances to dictate how we are feeling, how we are approaching the day. If you were to read this, and we, us in this group, would have experienced a stoning, three beatings, five floggings, three shipwrecks, we would say God is punishing us. But recognize in this, Philippians 4.19 that's not what Paul is saying. He says, and this same God who takes care of me, he is sharing how God has taken care of him, even with all these hardships. Because Paul does not face his daily, like his joy or his negativity in life, on life's circumstances. 
That's not, that's not how he's filtering this through. He understands that God is caring for him even in the midst of hardships, even in the midst for suffering for Christ. Because again, back to that verse that we just looked at, it's through Christ who gave, who gave Paul his strength to endure whatever hardship he is going to face. So many of us, when we look at these hardships that we face in life, we think that God is punishing us. That is not the case. And in those moments of hardships, do we go to God? Are we trusting in God? Are we looking to God to provide and supply needs that we are in need of? Jesus expands on this. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs, so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So you got to think through, the hearers at this time were very poor. And Jesus says, don't worry about food or drink or wear what you're going to wear. And at this time, those, and even today, those are life's essentials. So when we read that, if we're not supposed to worry about what we're going to eat to stay alive or drink to stay alive or the clothing in these days, many of his hearers did not live in homes. So their clothing was the only protection they had from the elements So those life's essentials, if we're not to worry about those, what Jesus is saying, there is nothing worth worrying about. Nothing. But our minds, the way they're wired and the way they trigger, they're saying, wait a minute, if we don't know where the next time we're going to get food or drink or shelter, man, that would be a good time to start worrying, wouldn't it? Jesus says, no, and here's why. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. And I love this. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is proof, again, that life is not always going to be easy. Life is not always going to be easy because in addiction, what they talk about, they come up with this phrase, one day at a time. There's no need to fight tomorrow's battle in addiction because you need all your strength and you need God's strength just for today. And that's basically what Jesus is communicating here. Live one day at a time. Don't worry about tomorrow. Worry. Today is the day and God is going to provide your needs. And when you have those different needs or same needs tomorrow, God will be there because your Father knows your needs God will be there to provide all the needs you have. Just get through one day at a time. And then he continues, Jesus, going back to verses 28 and 30 now. And he says, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory has not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. This is that one of many verses of how God shows value in his treasured creation, which is you, 
And he's using wildflowers, these lilies as an example that don't do anything. And yet Solomon, who had the best wardrobe, I mean the best linens that were made, he wore. And it's interesting what Jesus is getting at here. He said, and yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as the lilies that absolutely do nothing that are here today and gone tomorrow. And so certainly, certainly God will care for you. That is a promise. There there is a promise that God will provide, that he will care for you and provide for all your needs. And if you're here lacking and feeling in the sense of that I don't have enough, the answer is not more money. The answer is more faith. The answer has always been more faith. Are you putting your faith in God for your needs? This is that mindset of getting out, not our wants, our needs. And only God knows our needs. Meaning there are many times we don't know our needs, we know our wants. But God also knows our wants. But it's important that we lack this faith. We have this opportunity to really exercise putting our faith in God for providing for us our needs. And so often we look outside of God. We run to this option. We run to this option. And not that those options are bad, But the first landing point when we feel like we don't have enough is to stop and just surrender that to God and then to allow God to provide in how he is going to provide for us all of our needs. So that's the first point. Here's the second point. If you have too much, you're probably still anxious. You know, almost more of anything causes something. More responsibilities, more stewardship, more organization. Like there's so much that we're going to look at here today and the answer is not always more money is going to fix everything. That's exactly the opposite of what Jesus communicates to us. But we're going to start in Proverbs. And I love this. I love this. Oh God, I beg two favors from you. Let me have them before I die. First, help me never to tell a lie. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and this insult God's holy name. Don't give me too much, but give me just enough, God. I'm, I'm, I'm going for mediocre. I'm going for average. I want to be right here. Not, the, not rich, but not poor. I'm aiming for the middle ground. And so this is wisdom, Proverbs is wisdom for us that on both sides of that spectrum, it can cause us to have the wrong hearts. It can cause us to sin in different ways. And he goes on, he goes, I might just deny you because if I have too much money and many people who have too much money, they just deny God because they don't really need to turn to God. Even though they need him, they're unaware of it because they are allowing that money to fulfill as many needs as possible. But money can't save you. Money cannot save you. When you look at Hollywood, what I see is a mess. I'm sorry, I do. I see a mess in Hollywood. Now, sure, there's some good Christian people in Hollywood trying to honor God with their lives and their finances. But I see a mess. Hollywood is not the answer, but in the media, that's kind of who's portrayed. Here's this image of people that have all this wealth. But in reality, 
When you start digging into people in Hollywood, and this isn't against them, this is just the truth. There is sadness, there is depression, there is hurt, there is failed relationship after failed relationship because God's not a part of that equation. More money is not always the solution. Now Jesus comes back to, he says, no one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You, masters were not allowed to have two masters over one slave because that one slave would be pulled in two different directions. That one slave would start to resent and hate one of the masters and then grow allegiance to the other master. That's what Jesus is getting at. And he's using this language, again, the Sermon on the Mount, that the people would have been able to relate to. But what he's saying here is that you can't love both God and money because there is only one most important thing. There is only one most important thing. And if you have too much money, that one most important thing becomes about money. But God is the one most important thing. Jesus said this. He says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, which is impossible, than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is getting at here that if we have too much wealth, we are going to deny him and we're going to rely on the wealth. And that is an empty, void promise in life. Sure, you can be gracious and sure your money can be used for good things at times. But we need Jesus. Again, going back to Paul, Philippians 4, that was verses 11 through 13. It is through Christ who gives me strength to get through life, not money. And Jesus is really hitting this point home here. First Timothy says it like this. He says, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. That's what money can do. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. You know, reading that top, top part again, Verse 9, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires. This reminds me of Act 5's with Ananias and Sapphira. They're a married couple and they sell this property. And they sell this property and they say, hey, we're going to go and give it to the church. But Ananias, the husband, says, hey, before we do this, we're going to keep some of this for ourselves. Are you okay with that? She said, yep, it's okay if we keep some for ourselves. So he brings this money to the disciples. Peter asks, is this all the money? And he said, yes, that's all the money we made off that land. And so the Holy Spirit starts convicting and gives Peter this wisdom. And Peter says, why have you allowed Satan into your heart, Ananias? You can't hide from God. This, and Peter knew that this wasn't all of it. And right then and there, Ananias dropped dead. His wife comes after. Peter says again, is this all the money? She goes, yes, it is. And then she dropped dead. Now, I chuckle a little bit, but it's actually a very sad story. But you see this. You see when people who long to be rich, so for whatever reason, and Peter says, it was your land. You could have sold it. You could have kept it. You could have given a portion. 
and then held some for yourself, but that's not what you did. You lied. You fell into this temptation. You felt like you needed to lie to us. You were lying to God. And then as a result of that, because here's what Satan did, now he's got a foothold. He uses money, and now he's got a foothold on Anna, Ananias and Sapphira, and then that plunged them into ruin and destruction. Their lives were destroyed. That's what 1 Timothy's saying here. It's so easy for us with money to fall for the lies and to convince ourselves of something else and to allow that temptation to turn into sin, which now Satan's got a foothold and that sin turns into destruction. And now all we're doing is causing danger and damage to ourselves. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. The answer is not always. It can be helpful at times. As long as you are aligning with God's will with money, everything is great. But when we don't align with God's will, we find ourselves in this place of destruction. We find ourselves who have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So that's point number two. But here's the good news. Because there is good news in this message. Generosity releases the grip of money on your heart whether you have too little or too much. Here's what it says in 2 Corinthians, and we're going to use this impact to unpack how we should respond. And Paul writes, Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, meaning life's not easy, and they are very poor. So they're troubles and they're poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy. That is so important, which has overflowed in rich generosity. The opposite, the opposite of anxiousness, anxiety is joy and peace. And so now we see these, these followers of, of God, these followers of Christ, who now are responding with generosity, because when you're responding with generosity, no longer do you have anxiety in your, in your heart in this midsection, that low hum is what we call it, now you're experiencing joy and peace. And so what does this mean for us? Because what Paul is doing here to the Corinthian church is he's challenging them. You are much wealthier than the churches in Macedonia, which would have included the Philippian church. And he's pointing out they, yes, are experiencing many troubles, and they are very poor. The people in Corinth were much richer. And what Paul is doing is he's trying to get them to understand this. That if you are going to have release from anxiety, from funds, it's rooted in generosity because he makes sure that he points out they are filled with abundant joy. People in Corinth, you are not. You do not have the joy that the Philippian church has in your heart. And he's stressing this point to them. And so that video that we just walked about, I'm always curious when I start reading into the letters to the churches, I wonder how Paul's words would communicate our generosity here at Alpine Church. Where would we fall? I'm always curious about that. My hope is that we would be like the Philippian church, that we'd have hearts full of joy and that we would respond to God with generosity because we can't outgive God and God has been so generous to us. When I look at what God has given us, it's incredible. And so when you look at your finances, if you look, whether it's online now, on your phone, of where, how and where you spend your money, is God a part of that equation? 
Here's how we say it. God wants us to be regular, regular givers. He's given us 100%. And he says this is the only time he goes, go ahead, test me. Go ahead, test me. If you don't believe that I'm going to bless you by you giving to me, go ahead, test me. You can read about that in Habakkuk. It needs to be proportionate. Now, you might have to grow to that. I know my wife and I, we've been raising our giving every year. We look forward to that talk at the end of the year. This is the time. In January, we're going to raise it again. Why? Because God keeps blessing us. And I am all about being a part of ministries that are helping people pursue God. I believe in Alpine what we are doing. I believe it with my whole heart. I'm just not saying that because I'm on staff. We're going to have two more baptisms at the end of the next service. The impact that God's kingdom makes is incredible. And then sacrificial. It should sting a little bit. Meaning the amount that you want to get to should be an amount that is sacrificial, that you might be giving up things to help God move his mission forward. Regular, proportionate, sacrificial. My hope is that we would be like the church in Philippi, that we would experience that. And when I give, I'm telling you, yes, it's once a month. I sit down. There's that piece of joy that hits my heart because I know that God's going to use that for his purpose and his glory. Because our finances are not about us. It's how can we honor God with our finances. And my hope is that you would come to that place. I'm not communicating this to get more money here to Alpine Church. There's many other things that you can give to godly organizations outside of Alpine Church. But my hope is that you would also experience this joy. Because the solution to the anxiety that we have financially is generosity. Now, yes, there might be some planning and some structure and some budgeting you need to do. And if you have little and you're like, I can't really afford much, your generosity might be five bucks. Whatever it is, God is going to work in and through you in your giving. It might be two coins, and for someone it might be $20,000. There's a big difference there of the wealth. My hope is that you would experience that abundant joy that God has for you in the gracious gift of giving.